Well, good evening, everybody, all of you out there in internet land, Facebook land, all y'all out there, and all y'all in here tonight. Welcome to Tuesday at the Table. It's our time to delve in and study God's Word. Um, tonight, we're going jumping back into our study of Luke 18, 1 through 8. But before we do that, I want us to uh, open in prayer, and then we're going to jump into studying God's Word. If y'all pray with me, Heavenly Father, right now we just come before you. Lord, we lift you up. Lord, this is your time, your time to speak to us through the teaching of your Word. Lord, I just pray that you would just set me aside. Let your Spirit speak, Lord. Let the things you want said and done tonight be done. Lord, just set me aside. Lord, open each and every eye, each and every heart, whether in here or out there in internet land. Lord, this, this will be used for your good. And we thank you and we just praise you. Lord, we just ask you to just bless this teaching in Jesus' name. And everyone in here said, Amen, Amen. You know, we started last week with, unre uh, with unrelenting prayer, right? We're going to continue that, and we're going to jump into the third topic tonight on the second night. But first, I want to read again Luke 18, 1 through 8. I'm reading out of the New King James Version, and it says, And he also spoke a parable to them to teach it is always right to pray and not to faint, saying a certain judge was in a certain city, not fearing God, nor respecting man. And a widow was in the city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. Verse 4 says, And he would not do so for a time. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, that she not wear me down in the end. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust says, unjust, unjust judge says, And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry day and night to him, though he has been long-suffering over them? I say to you that he will avenge them speedily. Yet when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on earth? Amen? Amen. A little review uh, first off, we talked about never relenting, that we must put our feet to our faith and we must always continue to pray. Uh, in verse 1, it says that he taught that it's always right to pray, that we should always bring everything to him in prayer. Uh, unrelenting prayer is an expression of our faith because we believe that if we're lifting a prayer up to our Heavenly Father, that it's going to be answered. We got in, delved into, you know, even talking about Daniel and about when uh, his prayer was dispatched, God immediately a dispatch. But what did the angel tell Daniel after 21 days? Daniel did, like I said, Daniel didn't just sit down and say, I'm going to fast for 21 days. No, Daniel fasted till his answer came and it was 21 days. No, the archangel had to fight through all of hell to get to him. 
you know, it says that we do not f- fight with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers of the air. Guess what the archangel was doing? The archangel was fighting his way through. But the whole time, that 21 days, did Daniel ever stop praying? No. Did Daniel ever go, okay, I've had it with the lettuce. I want some lamb. I've had it with, you know, just drinking the water. Bring me my wine. Uh, No, he didn't do any of that. He kept fasting and he kept praying because he had faith that God was going to answer. And Jesus opened this parable with that, that we must be unrelenting. Never relent in our prayer. The second part we talked about last week was God being a, he loves justice. He loves for right to be going on. He wants everything to be in the right, and he wants us to receive justice. We talked about the earthly judge, who in this was described as, even his own words says, I have no regard for man. In other words, he's uppity. He don't care. I'm the judge. I will make the sentence, and I will pass the verdict. I feel I need to pass. It really didn't even sound like he was much of a man who followed the law. It sounded like he was a man. I I don't regard man. I'll pass whatever judgment I feel like. Well, guess what? Our Lord is not that way. This was the opposite. Jesus was trying to show this man who had no regard for man and then talk about the ultimate judge. That is our heavenly father who sits on the throne, who will be the judge in the final day. But how he loves us so much. I can just back that up with one statement and y'all probably can guess it. He loves us so much he gave what? His only begotten son. Now, guess what? For a judge to pass verdict on his son to take our place for our sin, that's a loving judge. That is a loving judge. And he did it through, and he did it way, he, he already had the plan. Because in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Guess what? The Holy Spirit's on this earth, hovering around. God and Son, the Trinity's already formed when He's sitting there forming everything that we know now as the earth. They're already there, and this plan is already drawn out. He knows what man's going to do. He knows the the um, sinful nature we're going to, and He knows that His Son one day is going to have to be sent down here, and it's going to have to be born of a woman, just like every one of us in here. He's going to walk this earth. He's going to be a carpenter. Jesus didn't just kick back and have a good life. No. He was born into the, to being the son of a carpenter. That means he sat there and he knew how to sling a hammer. He knew how to hone stuff. He knew how to build stuff. I like that he was a carpenter. Because doesn't it say I'm going and he's going to do what? <laughs> a what? Our mansion. Guess what? There's going, that's going to be the best plumb lines ever drawn. That's going to be the squarest of squares and everything. But guess what? He came here knowing that he was going to die. He taught and taught and taught. Had his disciples knowing one of them was going to what? Turn on him. And he's still, the judge still passed sentence on his own son because he loved us so much. Each and every one of us. He is totally opposite from this judge that was mentioned in this story. The judge in this story is nothing but 
No offense, but I'm not a fan of Judge Judy. Judge Judy comes on and she turns me upside down because she just acts arrogant. She don't let people talk. Da, 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 da. And this just, this makes me think of Judge Judy. I'm sorry if you're watching this, Judge Judy. I love you and so does Jesus. But that arrogance, that's what you see it come forth. Our God's not like that. If he was, he long ago, he would have he he probably poked a hole in that boat when uh, Noah built it, and he would have said, I'm just going to start over. But he loved his creation so much. Remember, he created each and every one of us. Before we were informed of the, in, in our mother's womb, he already knew the plan he had for us. And he loves us that much, unlike this judge. But God loves justice. If you remember, we talked about how to apply justice. And I want to kind of read those things again. And just for us to remember, uh, when God's justice comes to sickness, there's healing. When God's justice comes to poverty, there's provision. Notice it says provision. I didn't say wealth. Too many people get that confused. God wants us to have the best of everything, but guess what? God also knows He is going to provide. He gives us provision. When justice comes to, the, to loss, there is restoration. There was testimony of that. That pastor and his son, I'll tell you one thing. Eddie James' ministry and everything, you hearing that, you don't know how many Pastors suffer things and just get ridiculed and accused of by the church and there's no love back toward them. But it didn't, yeah, he went through some stuff. God put him in a point and look what he's doing today. Amen. There was restoration. God's justice came to that family. Not just restoring them to, but brought mom back. Brought sister out of prison. And you saw all four of them standing up there. That is God's justice being applied to the family being torn apart. And there was restoration in that family. Yes. Because, you know what? We are in a corrupt body. Does that give us an open book? To, no. But guess what? Men stumble. Men fall. When I say men, I'm talking about both genders. But we have to have the realization that we need to come back. Women do. Not often, but they do. it is finished when it comes with him also when justice comes toward to a torn relationship there's reconciliation when God's justice comes to anarchy there's order when God's justice comes to rejection there's acceptance when God's judgment comes to oppression there is liberty you saw it up here you saw I mean a lot of stuff that's on this was hit with their testimony a lot of these young people, we've known the EJM for a while. We've seen them. We've heard the testimonies. I've, we've watched young adults, 
teenagers cycle through. Many of them are now in minute. They have their own ministries and everything. But there's a restoration, and God's justice is brought, and restoration is brought into the lives of these teenagers. When um, when justice comes to when God's justice comes to wrong, there is a right. When God's judgment comes to fear, there is peace. When God's justice comes to darkness, there is light. Guess what? The ultimate light of the world, Jesus Christ. He is our light, and he gave it for us. And when God's justice comes to blindness, there is sight. When God's justice comes to families, there is unity. And when God's justice comes to depression, there is joy. And I can vouch for that one, amen. I know for a fact there is joy. Um, my wife will probably attest in the last several weeks there's been a major difference in me. Major. And I, I had to crawl back home. And his justices have been applied in that depression and those things that were eating at me. There's now joy back in my life. When you're missing God's joy, I'm not talking happiness. I'm talking the joy of the Lord. There's a major difference. When that's missing in your life, there is a hole. And there will be depression. And I'll tell you, when that light is shined, when he shines that light again, because you're in a darkness. When, when you're in depression, you are in darkness. Now, I'm not talking about darkness of sin. I'm talking about darkness. You just everything seems dark. Nothing, there is no joy. Both those go hand in hand when God's justice is applied to those situations. Next, we're going to move into our next, our newest verse. And I want us to look at verse 3. And it says, And a widow was in the city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me, my adversary. We're going to talk about the cry for justice. We are in the book of Act, uh, Luke, Luke 18, 1 through 8, and this is verse 3. I kind of skipped around last week. I did verse 1 and 2, then I jumped down to 7 and 8. Now we're jumping back to verse 3 because I want us to look at the widow. Okay, many of us have read many a story in this book about widows. It talks about God gives instruction on how we're supposed to take care of the widow. The widow can't, a lot of times can't provide for themselves. The widow is deemed almost, you know, ladies, no offense, helpless. They, uh, they need someone to take care of them. Uh, this day and time, families take care. But if there's not, someone needs to take care of the widow. This widow is an example of us. This is, as God was the judge in this story, the widow is us. And unfortunately, we can't fight on our own. We have to have the help. We have to have God helping us. We have to have God applying his justice in our life. And again, like I said, the, she came to him asking to avenge her adversary. We, it really doesn't get into what the adversary, who it was, what it was, or anything else like that. It just, she had an adversary. Something she had against somebody, or somebody had done something against her. 
uh, back in that time, widows were trying to, a lot of people tried to take advantage of the widows, still do today. Um, and she, uh, it may have been somebody who had wronged her husband. Someone, it might have been the man who killed her husband. It may have been someone who's trying to steal her land. It may have been somebody, but it was an adversary that was after her. And she wanted justice. And what do we find? She goes to the judge. She knows she can't do it on her own. We can't do it on our own. We have to take, aren't we supposed to take everything to him in prayer? I'm talking everything. A lot of times, and don't, I'm not trying to, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But we have to learn to take a stand, but we need to understand where our power comes from when we take a stand, and that is from the judge. A lot of people can stand up and say, I'm standing up for the law, but if they don't have the law backing them up, but when we stand up in the name of the Lord and we've gone to the Lord and go, Lord, I have a situation. I have an adversary. A lot of times people, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we, we, there's not power in Jesus' name. There is. There is mighty power in Jesus' name. But a lot of times people just go around trying to beat the devil over their head and go, devil, da-da-da-da-da. And not once have they gone to the judge to talk about the adversary to say, in the name of Jesus, please, Lord, let me have power over this. And what we need to do is always, we're supposed to take everything to him in prayer. And then guess what? When you do that, then all of a sudden you get kind of bowed up. You know, God's done lifted you up and I call it righteous indignance. And then you can face the adversary and you can look the devil in the eye and you can say, in the name of Jesus, devil, you let my child go. In the name of Jesus, you leave my family alone and you restore my family. In the name of Jesus. But guess what? If you're quoting all this to the devil and you've never taken it to the Lord, what you need to do is take it to the Lord and then look the devil in the eye and go, I've done made the call. I got the judge on my side. It's kind of like, you know, the, those insurance commercials. Nothing against, uh, oh, there she is. Uh, nothing against your insurance company, but the general. You know, you got the general on your side. And there's this little cartoon general running around and Shaq and all that other stuff. But, you know, when you approach God with your request, when you go before the judge who is most high, and you go, Lord, the adversary, the devil, is trying to break my family up. Lord, I know that you don't believe in that, that you will restore my family. And Lord, I just pray that you will give me power to go before that devil and claim my family back. And guess what? That's when you can just step up and you can go, devil, you ain't going to take my family. You're not going to split my family up. You're not going to take my child and bring them into darkness like that. And there's power in Jesus' name. And especially when you've gone to the judge and got the backing of the judge already. 
Because the judge is the one that's going to set it right anyway. Amen? You know, you get to a point and see, this widow had gotten to a point to where she had to take a stand. You know, so many times we try to handle stuff ourselves. How many times have y'all, before you've ever gone to the Lord, decided you were going to handle it yourself? I am. I was. I've done it. Been there, done that. Wrote a couple books about it. I'll be signing them out in the lobby afterward. Amen. There's many a time, and then the Lord has to jerk my little rein, pull me back, and get my attention. He gets your attention. But we need to learn to start taking a stand. And when we take a stand, when we take a stand against the adversary, when we take a stand, it's kind of like there's a great scholar that I grew up with. I used to watch him on TV all the time. And he would use this statement. That's all I can stands, and I can stands no more. We all know that as my hero, Popeye. When he couldn't take no more of Brutus messing with him and messing with olive oil and sweet pea and wimpy and got tired of it, he took a stand. Okay, yes, I'm sorry. That might not be the most biblical thing, but guess what? Lighten up, people. Understand this. We can be the same way. We get to a point where we're tired of our family being torn apart, where we're tired of sickness overwhelming our family, where we're tired of our children being drawn into darkness, where we're tired of things happening, and we go to the Lord and say, I'm going to take a stand. I can't take this no more, and it's going to be just like this woman, and we're going to go, God, there's an adversary, and you need to write this. And I'm going to take a stand, and I'm going to stand on your word. Because you love justice, Lord. By lifting her voice to the judge, she was giving us an example of actual spiritual warfare. When we take that to the Lord, we are beginning battle. Our pastor taught on the whole armor of God. It's a funny thing. You put on all that armor. I'm not going to get into his study. You put on all that armor... And what's the last thing he tells you to do? Stand. He don't tell you to attack. He don't tell you to start just wielding that sword. You know, so many, some of us start wielding that sword and we start cutting heads off all around us and we're never touching the adversary. If we follow God's instruction, we put on all this armor. We put on the helmet of salvation. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We gird ourselves. We do it all. We put where our feet are shod with the preparation of his word. We put it all on and we're supposed to. I'm not going to jump up because then uh, Miss Jazz is going to get upset because I'm going to go out of the camera. But I'll tell you, I, this just excites me because when you put it all on, God didn't say go attack. God didn't say go full forward. You don't have to move that around. I'm not going to get Pentecostal yet in here. But I do get excited about this. He says stand. Stand. Okay. 
When we go to the Lord with these situations, when we go, okay, I can't take it no more, Lord. I, I, I've tried to do it myself. I can't do it no more. I've messed up again. I'm sorry. Dig me out of this hole. But the devil is beating me alive. I've put myself in a situation, and he's taking advantage of it, and I need this adversary taken care of. He's, he will remind you quickly. Guess what? You're wearing the whole armor of God. Stand and watch what I'm about to do. And that's where you start looking at the adversary. You, it didn't, you, don't, you don't sit there and just start wielding the sword of the Spirit upside the adversary's head. What you do is start proclaiming in the name of Jesus. And with that word, that word knocks them in the head. I went to promise keepers when promise keepers was the thing. I remember leaving out of Elmore County on a bus. There was 20-something buses that went to the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. And there was a pastor there uh, 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 named E.V. Hill. I, I loved E.V. Hill. E.V. Hill got us all riled up because he preached something similar to this. And he was talking about every time you use the Word of God toward the devil, you're hitting him. And he got us all, I mean, there was like 40-something, 50-something thousand men in this auditorium. Men. This was a movement to bring men back to God. And there was, and it was like, hit him, hit him. I mean, he, E.B. Hill, I remember that sermon to this day. And he was talking about every time, just like every time when Jesus himself was in, where? The garden. Guess what? He faced what we did. And what did he use to knock the devil upside the head, as I say? The word. Every time when he said, okay, make those stones into bread, Jesus looked at him and says, it's written. That was just like, you know, taking a club and just putting uh, back to cartoons, you know, here come that knot, you know, cartoon character in the big knot. I can just see the devil get his first knot. And then he says, bow before me, and, God, and Jesus says, it's written. You know, the word again, another one. Then finally he says, cast yourself off. And he says, it's written. He hits him three times. Finally the devil goes, there's a character that uh, again in cartoons, I'm sorry, I like cartoons, I like the old ones. There was a character that used to mess with Bugs Bunny who used to try to come get the little bunny and his name was Pete the Puma. Pete the Puma would sit there and uh, Bugs knew who it was and he was dressed up like a, an old lady and he, he had fake ears and he says, oh, I'm trying to get this little feller, it's my baby. And he says, come have tea first. And Bugs would say, how many lumps you want? Oh, two or three. And bing, 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 bing. And there'd be lumps all over his head. Guess what? And he decided to leave. The devil did the same thing. Jesus knocked him upside the head. He took a stand. He used the word of God. He is the word of God. You know, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. He is the Word of God. The Word of God was walking on the earth. The Word of God had just been in, in the wilderness and had gone without food nor water. The devil was going after the Word of God, and the Word of God was applied upside the devil's head. 
we can do the same thing. We go in prayer. We go before our advocate. We go before our judge to go before to go against our adversary, and we hit them with the Word of God. Amen? That's what we need to learn to start doing. A lot of times we try to do it on our own. You're going to find out. And like I said, I wrote books about it. You can get them in the lobby after we get done. We got to start understanding judge empowerment when you got the law behind you guess what you got it so when and i'm not talking about the law we're not getting levitical or anything but when you got the judge the ultimate judge behind you and you've uh, petitioned him you have gone before the holy of holies into his courts and you have said, Lord, I lay this before you. The devil, the adversary is doing this. And you take a stand and you go before God. And God, you know, that's the cool thing. We can go before the king of kings. In old times, if you walked in before the king without an invitation, what would happen? <laughs> Off of your head. Now, I'm, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go to Alice, okay? <laughs> uh, I think I've stopped my cartooning tonight. But we got to understand, God welcomes us in. God has already said you can come. We can, doesn't it say in Scripture that we can go into the throne, boldly into the throne room? Now, we don't go in there with our righteous indignance toward God. No, we go in there as a humble child going before Father, Abba Father. I love that. You know, Pastor loves that. I love it. I look at it as Abba's Daddy and then Father. In other words, Jesus said Abba Father. That's Daddy Father. There's a difference between daddies and fathers. Dad, fathers are the ones who've created. Daddies are the ones who love and nurture. And, and when you combine them both, there's Abba Father. And that's what our God is. And he allows us to come in and go, Dad, Heavenly Father, I've got an issue. I need your help. And then when he sees a brokenness, and I'm not talking about we got to go broken and we got to put on a show for him, no. But when, he's bro when we're broken before God, God is moved. God loved us so much he gave us his only begotten son but he also not just through his death which brought about and his resurrection which brought about our what salvation there was something that happened in the courts when his hands were tied to that stump and he was chained and the whip was applied 39 times on his back what the scriptures say about that by his stripes we what were a lot of people don't understand that so a lot of people think okay we can get our no we're, our healing was already paid for at the whipping post he did that before he ever died and went home he paid for our healing before he even paid for our sins don't think healing cannot happen today because it, just, it didn't go away with the apostles. God can touch. I told y'all about my wife uh, two weeks ago. She came out of here. She was having a hard time speaking that week. She come out of here not having a hard time. 
God can still touch. God can still heal. God can still take away things. God can still miracles. I think we have a our youth leader, our, our children's leader. Pancreatic cancer is one of the most deadly. We can't find it. She's doing, I mean, I look at her and I say, every time I, I don't speak to her all the time. I really don't know her very well. But every time I watch her walking in here, I instantly think that is a walking miracle of God that's before my eyes. Because honestly, when the doctors give those reports, she shouldn't be months down the line still working in the children's ministry. But she's walking in, and the whole thing about it, she walks around like she knows she's the daughter of the king. You know, I got a bad problem sometimes. I slouch. She has no slouch in her. She is a, I just, I notice these things and I look at her and I go, that is a woman of God. And she is a walking testimony. She's probably watching this. If she is, hello. But I can tell you, I see that every time and I go, that is a walking miracle. It is a walking miracle. And that's because, guess what? She decided to go to the judge. She's taken a stand. She believes that those stripes were her, were her healing was applied there, not there. Only thing you got to do, you understand your healing was already applied for, was already bled for. The blood was already shed for your healing. You just got to go get it. You go ask for it and have faith. Remember the last thing? Is he going to come here and find faith? I can tell you, and I'm, I'm going to be probably one of the most honest guys who will teach y'all ever. I have had several prayers that I've prayed, and there is zero faith behind it. I can tell you. I'm going to be honest. And if y'all have been, well, good. But there's many times I've offered one up, and as soon as I'm done, I'm thinking in the back of my head, there ain't no way. I have. Guess why? I'm flesh. I don't see everything in the realm that God sees. But then he takes a hold of it, and guess what I do? <laughs> doubting Rick. Not doubting Thomas, doubting Rick. That was, it's kind of like, I want to touch both those holes. I want to, I want to, let me see them feet. I mean, it's doubting Rick. We got to have faith. This woman went to the judge with the faith that she would be answered. She went to this judge and took a stand. She had a just claim. The widow went to the judge because she knew she had a just claim. And we need to always go before the Lord knowing that we have a just claim. We don't need to be going to the Lord and go, Lord, sister so-and-so just is irking me or brother so-and-so is just irking me and, and you need to straighten him out. You need to... It ain't a, you know, 
understand that ain't our job what you need to do is go my heart melts for this person Lord touch them you know what they need too many times in the churchy world we decide we know what they need no God knows what they need we just need to pray for people we need to let we need to go before God with just claims Lord I know this person is hurting I know this person is having a hard time I don't know all the situation I don't want to but Lord you're the just judge and you are going to bring justice to their situation and then next thing you know that person uh, several weeks later could be given a testimony up here saying how they were brought out they don't know what happened but God brought them out of the gutter and now they're proclaiming the joy of the Lord and they are serving him and guess what it's because someone decided to pray. We decided to have a just claim. We don't need to go before and go, Lord, I wish you'd just get this out of my way. We need to make sure that we have just claims. We need to make sure that we go before the Lord. Uh, we don't need to go before the Lord and go, I need a new airplane. There I go stepping on toes again. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. But... We need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I need transportation. I think someone in here got transportation because she said she needed some transportation. She went to the Lord with it. She's hiding back there. I've heard her testimony. And guess what? She didn't ask for a Cadillac. She didn't ask for a new Mercedes Benz or a Bentley. Or any. She asked the Lord for, she told me and Sister Vanessa her her. Her testimony about that guess what she asked the Lord for something the Lord provided amen she went to him with a just she didn't go to him and go well I I live in a, a one-bedroom I think I need a five-bedroom because I might have some friends over I don't know I guess that's not a just or Lord this person at work is bothering me and I don't know what their problem is blah 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 you need to straighten them out that's not a just request. Yes. Right. We need to ensure that our claims before God are biblical. We don't need to be just willy-nilly. Like I've re read through there, you know, I talked about the house. You know, you don't have a house in, or you're living in your car. Well, that's poverty. He gives provision when he, he will answer these. He will answer all that list I gave. He will answer them. He's, he's swift to answer. He's swift to come before and answer us but I want us to now look into why we constantly pray and when we read in verse verse 3 again and we're going to read 4 and 5 it says and the widow was in the city and she came to him saying avenge me my adversary and he would not do so for a time that's not like our God this judge was like I'm not being bothered by this woman 
Our God does not do that. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her that she not wear me down in the end. In the old church, I'm talking about old timers, a lot of people says, leave your petition before the Lord and just let him have it. Don't sit there and just keep, because that's not having faith that the Lord, no. That's not right. We are supposed to bring, if it's still an issue, if you bring something before the Lord, you woke up this morning, you had your prayer time, you go to bed and you have your prayer time, and there's a situation still. It's not not having faith. What you're doing is going, you know the Lord's answering. You know that it's going to happen. The next morning, just because you bring it up again, that doesn't mean you don't have faith. You, no, it means you have faith that God is going to answer this and you are bringing that petition again to him. And you don't have to remind him, but you are saying, I know you're going to do this for me, Lord. I know I've asked you and I know it's going to be done. Unfortunately, a lot of people in the, in the old church, in, uh, you know, in religion say that's nagging don't nag God just leave it there and have faith you know there's times we need to leave stuff and that's usually our sin and everything but when we have something we need to, God to take care of I guarantee you a miracle don't happen because somebody just goes okay God I'm believing you're going to do this and then they turn and forget about it there's a constant faith there and there's a belief there. Yeah. Right. That's exactly. Yeah, you're being persistent, and you're what it is is faith. You're being you because when you the first when you ask the first time, then it's you asking God. When you bring it up the next time, it's you believing God. You believe Him the first time, but really you're believing even more because you know that. And then the next time you bring it up in prayer, you're believing even more. Your faith should build every time you bring it to Him in prayer. This woman, unlike this woman and this judge, unlike us and God, this woman, she wasn't getting satisfied. Even the judge said, I'm not going to be bothered by her. He was not bothered by her for a time. In other words, he was like, woman, go away. But next thing you know, I mean, for a judge to say, I better answer her so she don't drive me nuts, is basically what he said. I can just imagine... Here's a judge walking through the market. Hey, judge, remember me? It's Widow Johnson. I told you about my adversary. When am I going to get justice? He's walking toward the synagogue. Hey, judge, it's Widow Johnson again. He got wore down. He was like, look, this woman's going to drive me nuts. She had a plan, and she did not give up on it. 
When we go before God, we have faith and we don't give up on it. And we don't deviate. We go, we go after it and go, God, we know you're going to answer this prayer. We know he's going to completely answer it. The contrast here is we are taught, as we have talked before, that the judge and God are a contrast. The judge and the widow did not care uh, for each other, unlike God and us. The widow didn't care for that judge. She just knew that the judge was going to be the one who brings her justice. Unlike us and God, you know, and the judge already said, he don't care about man anyway. But unlike this with us and God, what? God so loved us, and we call him Heavenly Father. It's a relationship. It's a family. We are now sons and daughters of the king. Amen? Guess what? We're going... To, it's, it's personal now. It wasn't personal for them. It was, I need the judge to act in my favor, and the judge was like, I need this crazy woman to leave me alone. God goes, my child needs something, and I'm going to answer them. We go to the Lord and go, Lord, I have a need. And we have faith that he'll answer. Jazz, you did not know what kind of car you were going to get, did you? You just knew God would provide. Amen. She just knew she's going to get one. And that's how we need to be. We need to believe. And a lot of times God's going to answer. He's going to answer for our best. We may ask one thing, it's going to be totally a different thing. Just This is a made-up example. I need transportation, Lord. I would really like a nice car. I, I mean, I'd like a car to get me around. Well, all of a sudden, God drops a truck on me. Lord, I didn't know I was... Uh, I need a car, you know, it's a little more comfortable and everything. Uh, a tree falls in my yard and I got to cut it up and haul it off. I didn't know it was going to happen. Instead of me having to pay for somebody... And I'll pick up truck. I didn't know that was going to happen. And that's a totally made up scenario. Please understand that. That ain't happened to me. But that's how things work. You think, and you go, God, give me transportation. I need a new car. He gives us a truck instead. And then a week later, we got to utilize that truck when we were wondering why in the world are we getting that. Sometimes he'll answer our prayers in, Lord, I need this taken care of. Well, he'll answer it in a total different way. We go, okay, Lord, you've answered it. We don't have an understanding. Then all of a sudden an understanding will come, and you'll go, aha. And you'll get that light, and God will, you'll understand, and go, look, it couldn't have been no better. It won't, because that's how his answers are. His answers are yes and amen. That's how it is, and it's perfect. A lot of times we go, Lord, take care of this bill, that bill, this bill, and this bill. And he may take care of that bill, that bill, and this bill. And then come find out they were the ones that were fitting to come knocking on your door. And these aren't. These, you call them up and they're forgiving to you. And they'll go, we'll give you a couple more weeks. Things like that happen, folks. God answers so a lot of times not exactly how we plan it. We have our own plan. When I pastored the church, I had my own plan sometimes. And God was real quick to turn me upside down, shake all the change out of my pocket and go, 
I got it this way, and boom, it'd be totally different, and it'd be no better way. I'd be like, thank you, Lord. Don't, don't pay me no attention. You just, keep, you just keep doing your thing. I'm goofy. Because I would think what my idea was great, God had another intent. But he answers. It ain't like he's going to ignore me like that judge did. I would bring it to him several times, knowing God's going to answer me. And I'm bringing it to him. Every time I go before him in prayer, I'm bringing it to him, and he's going to answer. But he's not going, I wish Rick would quit nagging me. He, I heard him the first time. No, he's going, you know, he's getting this that I am of a father, and I'm here to answer. He has faith in me. Do you remember the last line of these verses in 8? When the Son of Man comes back, is he going to what? find what? Find faith. That's a telling thing. When the Son of Man comes back, I'm not, I don't want to get into eschatology, but when the Son of Man comes back, is he going to find faith on this earth? Is he going to find it? Is he going to find that remnant out there that still has faith, that believes that God still heals, that God still provides, that God's, it's not of our own doing, it is God's provision through us? Is there, am I going to find faith? We got to be, we got to have faith. We got to have faith. There's a difference in the nagging. We call what we should be calling ourselves is persistent. We got to be persistent. And you, we read it in 5 through 8 of how she was persistent. Oh, we'll read uh, Luke 5, uh, 11, 5 through 8. And it says, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answering from inside may say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his inopportunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. He will give as many as he needs. In other words, he's not going to rise up and say, I don't need to be messing with you right now. It's the middle of the night. If the man's going to get up out of bed anyway, if someone come, TJ, I need some bread. I know you got it in there. And you get up, and you walk that door, you're not going to look at a person and go, look, I'm already in bed. No, you're not. You're up. Lord, I need you. I have a need. Lord, the Lord's not going to be hindered by our request. 
This man came knowing that his friend, he had, he had other friends that had just got there and he had a need. And he knew this friend would provide and that's why he went there. Do you think he would, would you go to a neighbor that you knew wouldn't answer the door? Would you go to a neighbor that you knew didn't have no bread? No, he went to a friend and said, and he believed. The guy got up. Guess what? Jesus Christ already died for us. Jesus Christ has gone to the grave for us. Jesus Christ has already risen for us. Why would he, through his Father, not answer us? Plain and simple. We have to understand that we must be persistent because he is there to answer. God views persistence as a substantial expression of faith. And it is faith that pleases God and triggers supernatural intervention. Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, it's a, guess what? If you have faith in something, you're praying to God, you have faith in something that has not already materialized. He is, it is, faith is the substance of this. It is the meat. It is the, it is, it's, it's where the rubber meets the road. As us, you know, country folks sometimes say, that's where the rubber meets road. That's our faith is us not having that provision, not having that healing, not having it yet, and going before the Lord in faith and claiming something we can't even see yet. That's faith. And that persistence in knowing, because we're persistent about it, because we will go petition the Lord for everything that we need that, we can, that God has not already provided us for. When you're persistent in that, guess what's happening to your faith? Your persistence also builds your faith. Your faith will give you even more persistence. It feeds off of each other. In Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, it says, By faith Enoch was transcended so as not to see... Okay, okay, I completely lost... Okay, okay. To God must believe... I completely... I'm going to have to look that scripture up. Because my notes just... I, my, my thing did something. So let me see what that says. I don't want to skip that. And... Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. Hebrews. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that to see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he had pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We all know the story, Enoch. Enoch walked with the Lord till he was no more. Plain and simple. Enoch had faith. Enoch walked with the Lord daily. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to walk with the Lord daily. Reading his word, praying. We're supposed to be persistent in reading his word and praying. And that's faith. And if we're found faithful 
in our faith, God answers. God loves us. It is persistence. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to the mountain, Move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Again, country boy coming out in it. Some of y'all, have y'all ever planted mustard, turnip greens, or anything else like that? My daddy used to like to mix it with sand so he could get a good grip on it because it's just a little bitty thing. And if we have that much faith, a speck, a speck of faith, that's all we need. But so many times we don't have faith. We will offer up a prayer, unfortunately. And like I said, I've done it, been there, done that. Get the book afterwards. I have offered up prayers before, and right after they come out of my mouth, out of my heart, I'm like, there's no end to this. There's no, that ain't, that's faith of nothing. Only thing I needed to have my mountain move was a mustard seed. That's all. That's a speck. It ain't like you got to be coming around in here and so full of the Holy Ghost and you know, no, it takes a speck of that faith and you being persistent to go before your judge and advocate to receive what you need, to receive the adversary being turned away, to receive the justice that you need. It takes just that little bit of faith to heal cancer. It takes that little bit of faith to restore you from bankruptcy. It takes that little bit of faith to bring your loved one home who's been struck out on meth and amphetamines and you never thought they would come back but you had faith in God that he could do it. It takes that speck. And we need to learn to just have a little bit of faith and to be persistent. So many times, I mean, it, 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 Lord, just have this amen. Remember the amen thing we were talking about? Amen is not, Lord, I'm offering up this prayer to you right now. I need this situation to take care of. Amen. Amen's an agreement. If you're in agreement, you have faith that it's going to happen. Amen means so be it. And if it's so be it, that means you're in agreement that God's going to already answer it. So when you say amen, it's not hanging the phone up. It's not a period. It's not an explanation point. It's not a question mark. A lot of times we as Christians, like I said, I'm honest, folks. I will be honest because it's part of my testimony. And guess what? I share the word of God, but my testimony, he said, go teach. And we're also supposed to share our testimony. And you will reach more off your testimony. And then you teach them the word of God. When you give your testimony, 
when you tell them how God's touched you and done things for you, you will get more fish in your basket than trying to chop them upside the head like Pete the Puma and you beating them with this book. Now this book is a beloved thing and it is our, it's our guide. It is, it is our guide. What's the old, the Chilton's books, you know? You used to go get your Chilton's book for your old Dodge, you know, Barracuda. Well, this is better than that. This is the instruction of our life. But when you got somebody that's lost as anything out there, they need to see this instruction, how it worked through you. So your testimony is what will draw them in. Then you teach them once they're drawn in and they've got, God's got that hook in and they're sitting there and they've received. This is when we start teaching and we start, we can give them examples, but that's when they start getting milk and they grow into the meat. I don't know why I went there, but I'm going there. We need to start telling people, using our testimony, you know what, God's good. You tell somebody how good God's been to you, you'll grab their ear quicker than you quoting John 3.16. Not saying that John 3.16 is not important. When you grab their ear and they start getting interested and they see God's done something through you, then guess what? You can drop that holy hand grenade of John 3.16 and use it to lead them to the Lord. But when you look at them and say, turn a burn, sinner. You know the only people Jesus really got indignant with was the religious folk. And his apostles. He got very sarcastic with them several times. Because he got tired of <laughs> goofy questions and stuff. But because they were trying to learn from him. But the woman of the well. She said, but Lord, I'm, I already know you got five husbands. Hush about that. Pour me some water. <coughs> woman with the issue of blood. He knew what she had. In, in the Old Testament times, she was as dirty as anything. She was, she was as dirty as the woman had five of us. He knew Simon, then, lay, then named Peter, would be denying him. And guess what? I used to be a sailor. You know, he's a fisherman. Fishermen are sailors. I was a sailor. I know what sailors are like. We saw sailor come out in him when he denied Christ three times. He sat there and cussed the little girl out, basically. But guess what? He still loved him. He still loved him. He didn't say turn a burn. Where he got indignant and he got upset with folks was the people that should have known better. The people we need to love on. We're, we're supposed to love on each other. But the people we need to love on, we don't need to be going after them like that. We need to go with them like this. I don't care that you ain't had a bath in three weeks. I don't care that half your teeth have fell on out. I don't care that you've led a lifestyle that's not, that's contrary to God's word. I'm still going to love you just as Christ loved you. 
I'm not saying he loves a sin. He loves a sinner. And we're supposed to be. What does Christian mean? Christ-like. Right? So guess what? Are we supposed to hate on the sinner? Yeah. Yeah. Because I can tell you, you go tell a little white lie, there's no difference than the person that committed adultery. There ain't corners of different sins, even though we think, you know, there's not. Sin is sin is sin, sin. And Jesus Christ has paid for that. It's not for us to judge. It's for us to love and to be like Christ and go, look, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you what he drug me out of that I used to thought was great and was part of the world. You know, Eddie James talked about that this weekend. In no way does he ever look at one of them kids that come. when they. If you ever see him in a big rally where they have a lot of youth, where he gets a lot of these kids from, not one time does he just, you're a sinner. How? Why am I supposed to? No. He takes those big open arms and he loves them kids in. But I've also watched him when they've become Christians and they're in their walk, I've watched him correct. Because he's like father to them. He's like a dad a lot of them don't even have. And that's what it's about. As him being the shepherd of that ministry, he has to correct. But he's not correcting them when they first come. You know, he tells them, look, you got to give this lifestyle up. Let me tell you, show you in God's word. But I still love you. Jesus loved you. We love you no matter what. But this is what he says. He still does it. We're supposed to do it. Remember, Christian is Christ-like. I'm really going to blow a lot of people's theology here. One of my pastors said this one time, and it took me a second to think. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? When we get saved, I'm going to throw this out there. When you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you're saved, I want to see answers for this. Are you instantly a Christian? Or are you saved and a believer in Jesus Christ? We, are, we walk and achieve are to be like Christ. But I can tell you, when I was saved, I still had some things that needed to come off me. I was not Christ-like. But I, was, I knew I was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I was a believer. And I've strived day after day after day to be Christ-like and to be a Christian. It is a process every single day. You know what that process is called? No. It's, one, it's a word. It's a churchy word. It's another study I did. It starts with an S. It's called sanctification. We are sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that sanctification process is a daily process. I can remember my training. That was put out. A pastor I loved to death who taught. He looked, and I was in a room full of guys that were striving to be a minister. And he threw that out. He said, is sanctification a single process, or, or is it 
a daily process. I just spoke up. I said, it's a daily process. Every time we get up and we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins, it's a, he sanctifies us. The sanctification, what he has sanctified me from yesterday doesn't cover today. Everything in the past, and sanctification is a daily process. And he looked at me, and he got this look, and I was like, oh, I done said the wrong thing. My wife's sitting right next to me, and I'm like going. He looked at me, and he was like, and there was another pastor sitting behind him. Needs to pastor church right down the road down here, big church in Millbrook. And he, both of them kind of looked at me. And one of them got, the one that was sitting back behind got kind of a smile on his face. And the other one looked back and looked at him. Looked back and goes, he got that right. Blew some guys' minds in there. But we got to understand it's a daily process for each and every one of us. And we got to understand it's a daily process for everybody. And that's what that is, what you said. It's a daily process. It's that word sanctification. We are sanctified through the blood of the Lamb daily. It is a, it's not applied when you come up here and say, Lord, please forgive me my sins. I accept you as my Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, he applies blood. Everything from then back gone. But when you walk out those doors and by next Friday you end up in the bar and things happen that aren't Christ-like and aren't very Christian or go against the teaching. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to just... But things happen, you ask for, guess what? What you did that past Sunday doesn't cover what you did Friday night. But when you wake up Saturday morning going, I know better. I should have known better than that. I slipped back in my ways, but I know that, Lord, you are my Savior. You are now my Savior. I am now a believer in you. Please forgive me. Sanctification. He has sanctified you again. Yes. Yes. people are in hell today because they were either told or they believed I have to get cleaned up first before I can ever be saved if that was the case none of us would be nothing we can do is going to clean us up other than asking God to yes yeah Yeah, and that's what we have to do daily. It's daily practice. You love baseball. I already know you love baseball. I'm sorry, you're not going to get good at your position. You won't get good at hitting unless you practice. And you practice, as my coach used to say, you got to practice like you play. 
You practice just like you, you put out at practice, just like you would it in a game. It's the same thing with us. We have to practice this daily. You know what? You know how you can start by practicing? Practice. We practice. Our walk is a practice. You can't, you cannot, and it's training. You can also use the word training. How can you run a marathon if you don't train and do it daily? These marathon runners don't just, they have some God-given ability, but they don't run those times they do those 26 point whatever. Yes. Bless you. I, I get in my car and I drive. <laughs> I let the Navy used to tell me to run, and then once I got done running for them, I don't run no more unless God asked me to run. Oh, well, I ran to the altar. I can tell you that. But we need to understand, just get back here on subject. We need to understand that God is our advocate. God is our judge. The adversary is the devil, or it could be all sorts of things, but he's going to answer us. Unlike the earthly one, we're supposed to have faith. We're supposed to approach him, continually approach him. We're not supposed to give up. We're supposed to be persistent. That is what we're supposed to do. And our faith will build. As our persistence builds, our faith builds. And if we have faith of that, of just, again, a mustard seed, what happens? Mountains are moved. Healings. Restoration. Deliverances. Restore of your joy. That mountain of depression is gone because I knew my God would finally can take care of it, and he did. Amen. I covered the last three nights tonight. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know who's going to be here next week. Maybe pastor asked me to come back. I don't know. But that is the study on unrelenting prayer. We got to understand that we got to be like this widow and we don't give up. Because, one, God doesn't give up on us. Amen? Amen. Well, that does it for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed this out there. Uh, and again, we'll see you Sunday. Come here, Pastor, with, with God's Word. Amen? Amen. Y'all have a great night.